We're in the midst of a series on mission. If you have not been paying attention, we're doing kind of some shorter series for the second half of this year, looking at a brief theologies of different things that surround the Christian faith. So we've looked at worship. We've looked at what it means to have a daily encounter with God. Uh, we've looked at um, different... Um, I don't even remember. What are some of the other things? Oh, we looked at what the church is and what, what it means to be the church through different analogies within the church. And now we're looking at mission uh, in, this, in this series that we're calling Sent. Now, the word mission comes from the Latin word missio, which means sent. And it's the Latin version of the Greek word apostolos. Uh, some of you might recognize that. What does that sound like? Apostle, uh, which literally just means one who is sent, one whom uh, was sent. And so God sent the apostles into the world to do things through Jesus. And so they were called apostles. But really, there's not just 12 apostles. We're all, in some sense, called and sent into the world to do something. So we're learning about what it is that our mission is as a church from looking at how Jesus saw his mission. So each week, we've been reading kind of the theme passage, which is from Luke chapter 4. And then we've been asking adding on to it for the specific theme we're looking at this week. Let us hear now the word of our Lord. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read. In the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And from the epistle of James. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Sometime after Jesus ascended into heaven and had sent out his church, a young man named Paul, who was a very devout Jewish man, was persecuting the church. And yet, at, in God's grand plan, he had decided to make Paul not the worst enemy of the church, but the best friend of the church by coming and appearing to him as he was traveling to Damascus and leading him to recognize that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promised Messiah in the Old Testament and all the prophecies. And so Paul comes to dedicate and devote his life to Jesus and to the gospel message after that. And he goes throughout the entire Roman world, mostly preaching to uh, the Gentile populations, the Greek-speaking or Latin-speaking Roman people in various cities throughout Greece and Macedonia. And he converts many, many people to follow after Jesus. And at some point in that journey, he ends up in jail. Now, we know that he ends up in jail for sure towards the end of the book of Acts when he goes back to Jerusalem to give a gift 
to the church in Jerusalem that he had been collecting from the Gentile churches. And he comes across some Jews in the temple and they accuse him of all kinds of things. And then he, as a Roman citizen, eventually appeals to Caesar and he gets a free ride to Rome, which is where he was wanting to go to preach the gospel the whole time. And he sits in house arrest in Rome for many years awaiting his trial before Caesar. And we don't really know what happens to him after that. But there's multiple letters that are written in the New Testament from Paul to various churches where Paul declares that he is currently in prison. We don't know if all those letters were written while he was in Roman imprisonment, awaiting uh, his trial before Caesar, or if it was other times where he may have been imprisoned that we don't have records of. But Paul writes in these letters that he's sitting in prison and he's writing to these churches to encourage them. One of those letters he writes to the church at Colossae. The interesting thing about the letter to the Colossians is that it is not a standalone book. How many of you have ever studied the book of Colossians before? The letter to the Colossians. What book in the New Testament, what other letter is associated with the letter to the Colossians? Do you know? It's one of the shortest letters in the New Testament. Philemon, or Philemon is what a lot of people say. And so Philemon was written to a Colossian elder, and in fact, maybe it's quite possible that the church in Colossae meets in Philemon's house. He's a rich man, a wealthy man, that while Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus, he meets this guy from Colossae, and they become good friends, and they become partners in the gospel, and they do ministry together, and eventually uh, Philemon plants a church in his own home. While Paul's in imprisonment, just by coincidence maybe, or maybe one of Philemon's uh, servants, slaves, had heard about Paul and he ran away from his master, Philemon, and he sought his own freedom, sought to make his own freedom in Rome. And somehow he comes into contact with Paul while he's in jail. Maybe he gets hired to be some kind of servant to the house where Paul is under house arrest. We don't know how they get in contact with each other. Maybe he knew about Paul and so he sought him out intentionally. But he finds Paul. He becomes in contact with Paul. And Paul begins to minister to this fugitive slave. And as Paul puts the pieces together and as, as Onesimus, the slave, begins to recognize the truth of the gospel through the ministry of Paul, Onesimus begins to dedicate his service and his life to Paul while he's in prison and does various things for Paul to help make his life in prison easier and better. He begins to do gospel work with him. He begins to share in the fruit of the ministry that Paul was called to that led him to prison. And so the book of Colossians is not just written to the church in Colossae on its own, but it actually accompanies a personal letter that was written to Philemon. And this letter was written to Philemon and was to be carried by Onesimus. See, Paul, after time, after um, gaining Onesimus' trust and after loving Onesimus, he said, you know what? I cannot keep you here in good conscience because you, you stole from my friend Philemon by leaving his place and becoming a fugitive. And so I want you to trust me here. The man that you left is not the man that I know. And I'm going to send a letter with you to take back and I'm going to ask your old master for mercy and grace upon you. 
In those days, slaves became slaves through multiple different means. Mostly, it was through indentured servitude. They owed money to some wealthy person. And oftentimes, it was not just. It was very much oppressive that the the people who owned money would kind of lord it over those who didn't create interest. It was unpayable. Sound familiar? Yeah, we've kind of got some systems like that today. And then they would collect by bringing the person into their house as a slave or a servant that was paying off their debt, which was usually unpayable in their lifetime. And so this guy had left his master to seek his freedom, to escape from his slavery. And then Paul is convincing him to go back to Colossae and to trust that Jesus has done a work in his old master that would lead to the glory of the Lord no matter what choice he makes, whether he chooses to keep him as a slave in his house or whether he sets him free. But Paul writes some pretty strong words to his friend Philemon. The interesting thing, he says this at the beginning of the letter, for this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Paul is taking seriously the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ to set the captives free. But he's doing it in a way that is just even in his times. See, he wanted, he says in the letter, to keep Onesimus with him to do the gospel work. And he figures that that's what Philemon would want too because he knows Philemon's heart from the time they spent together. But he knows that it's not his decision to make, not his right to make. And so he writes this letter appealing to Philemon. Now in this letter, he says, anything that this man has done to cost you or your family, account it against my credit to you. Now this is really savvy. Because Philemon owns, owes his entire eternal soul to Paul because Through Paul's ministry, he became a believer in Jesus. And so he's really putting Philemon into one position, a position to show the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, to forgive someone who has done wrong to him according to the justice system of their day, and to set somebody free who was once a slave, as Jesus has set him free. Paul is looking out for the most vulnerable among him by using his own reputation, using his own credit, and using the ministry that God has done through him to help this young man find freedom for all eternity, not just on this earth. Incredible story of a man named Chuck Colson. Some of you may have heard of Chuck before. But Chuck was considered to be one of the most senior advisors to President Nixon during the uh, Watergate scandal. And in fact, Chuck had been so important in Nixon's administration, he had basically run his re-election campaign and he had done many different things. He was considered and called, do you guys know? Nixon's hatchet man or the White House's hatchet man. 
And so when the whole scandal broke loose and they were calling people forward to begin to investigate this and they were having all these, in, in these investigations and trials and trying to figure out the heart of what crimes might have been done, Chuck Colson was called to testify not only on the behalf of his ex-employer but also on his own behalf for the behavior and things that he did while he was in Nixon's employ. Now a year before this, a year before he was called to testify, Colson had had an interaction with one of his fellow co-workers in the law firm he was in. And he had noticed a significant change in the man that he once knew before he had gone to work in Washington, D.C. And one day he decides to ask this guy, there's something distinctly different about you that I never knew before when I knew you a long time ago. What has changed? What's happened? And the guy sheepishly didn't know what to say and kind of looked at the ground and looked at the sky and he's like, oh, well, uh, I kind of, I, I became a born-again Christian. I, I believe in Jesus as my personal savior. And he didn't know how to respond to that. And he just kind of ran off from, uh, from Chuck and Chuck was left there standing going like, what in the world? I've never heard anybody talk like this before. But it couldn't escape. He couldn't escape what this man had told him. Now, by the way, we looked at Billy Graham this last summer. Uh, this man had become saved through a Billy Graham crusade that had come through town. And he didn't even know the first time he would ever share the gospel, he would share it with Chuck Colson, who would ask him why there was a change in his life. And then he didn't even know how to say the words, and he sheepishly looks around, and he's, he's afraid of what to even say, and he kind of embarrassingly admits that he's become a Christian. And Chuck can't get it out of his mind, so he comes back to him. And the guy says, well, let me read for you a passage out of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And he reads a passage, and as he reads this passage, this chapter, Chuck thinks that C.S. Lewis is writing this book about him. <laughs> It was so penetrating to his heart and his soul. And so Chuck gives his life to Christ and becomes a Christian. So a year later when he's testifying, he gets a conviction in his heart that he must confess the crimes that he committed under the administration of Richard Nixon. And so he walked into the deposition room one day and without even being accused of this particular crime, he flat out admits that he had committed a crime and asks for no favor to be shown upon him. He's convicted of the crime. He spends three or four months in prison and that time in prison changed his life because he realized that the brokenness of the men around him is the reality of all of us. And that they just realize it more fully than the rest of us do. The brokenness he found in his own life with his own freedom taken away, he recognized that his freedom when he gets out really doesn't belong to him but belongs to Jesus. Now luckily he didn't have his um, licensure with the bar taken away. Instead, he wasn't disbarred. He was, he was able to go back and he was able to work as a lawyer. But when he got out of prison, he had this conviction in his heart that is the Lord led him to prison for a reason. And so he ended up founding a ministry to prisoners, which has become the largest prison ministry in the world, uh, Prison Fellowship. Many of you probably have heard of it. 
And he goes on to write 20-something books uh, about Christianity, about his faith journey, about what he learned in prison ministry. And I've read many of them. They are very, very good. But his life became devoted to protecting who he saw as some of the most vulnerable in our society, and that was those who were in prison for various reasons. He says this in his speech to Columbia University in 2008. He said, no matter how good what you do is, what God will do through you if you give him that opportunity is far greater. No matter how good what you do is on your own strength and your own volition, what God can do through you if you accept the opportunities that he's given to you to do his work is far greater. We are called in the Gospels to protect the most vulnerable. Jesus does it throughout his whole ministry. You see him talk to women who are prostitutes, women who are accused of adultery. You see him talk to a woman who can't even come to the well at the same time as the rest of the women because of shame in her life for some reason or another. You see him touch lepers. You see him allow women who are bleeding and who have been cast to the edge of society as unclean, touch him to be cleaned. You see him minister to the least of these over and over again because he he knows that his ministry, that his mission is come to not grandize the, the religious structure of his day, but instead to seek and to save the lost, the most vulnerable, and to protect them. In Jesus' day, the widows and the orphans were the most vulnerable in their society. If because of patriarchy, if a man left a woman and their and the children to their own devices, or if a man died, they had no means to make money. They had no means to trade. They had no means to take care of themselves. And so they were the most vulnerable in society. And so orphans and widows were special treasures of the early church to look after and to do justice towards because they were the most vulnerable. Now, in our days, that might not necessarily be the case, although I would say it's pretty often the case. But there are others among us, other communities in our vicinity who also share a vulnerability that we should be careful of. How many want to say something out loud? How, what communities are there in our communities that are most vulnerable? Immigrant communities. Who else? Long-term illnesses. Yes. Homeless. Alcoholics. What? The elderly. Yeah. Mental illness. The poor, right? These are people who our church should have a passion and a heart for to be able to reach out to and to care for in whatever way that we can because we are called and we are sent in the name of Jesus to care about the oppressed, about the imprisoned, about the poor, about those who are most vulnerable and cannot protect themselves from the world that might roll over them. So in our church, we can't fully accomplish the mission of Jesus unless we recognize that we are not only to proclaim the good news to the whole world, but that we're also to give a special protection to those who are most vulnerable in our society. And really, if you think about it, that's what this table is about. 
That's what this celebration that we do once a month, and we're, we're in World Communion Sunday, if you notice all the flags, and we're going to have different kinds of breads here. But this is what this table's about, Jesus protecting the most vulnerable, sinners, from their own sins, so that we might have new life in abundance to him as we come and fellowship him or with him around this table. I'm going to be away for the next two weeks, but I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of a good friend of mine, uh, Reverend Isaac Chung. He was, until real recently, the pastor at White Lake Presbyterian Church. Uh, Isaac and I are both from California, but we met here in Michigan. In fact, actually, our relationship is a good example of the gospel because he's from Southern California and I'm from Northern California. And like a good Christian boy, and in the example of Jesus, I've forgiven him for that. But he grew up on the mission field and his mom was involved in missions and still is. And so he has a great heart for mission. And so I invited him to come kind of close this mission series out. So he'll be here the next two weeks. And before then, your charge this week is to think about those in your own life. You don't even have to go and seek out in the community. Think about those in your own life who are most vulnerable and need your care and love, encouragement and concern this week and reach out to them with a telephone call, showing up at their house, whatever it may be, show Christ to them by being there for them and offering to help them in any way that they may need it.